Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun. It's our weekly podcast featuring in-depth interviews with experts from AccuWeather and from around the world, bringing you behind-the-scenes information, stories, and news on the weather, climate change, and the outdoors, covering topics from the worlds of science, sports, and space. It's all the information you need to weatherproof your life. And now, here's the host of Everything Under the Sun, AccuWeather meteorologist, Dean DeVore. And I welcome you into episode six of the fall 2021 series of Everything Under the Sun as this podcast drops on a Friday morning, comes after what was a quieter week of weather across the United States after that week before seeing that parade of western storms off the uh, west coast and that big nor'easter that knocked out power to hundreds of thousands in New England. The main weather stories this past week was the intrusion of some of the coldest air of the season over the Great Lakes in the northeast. It ignited the lake effect snows uh, machine and parts of northern Michigan picked up almost a foot of snow. We'll talk about how the weather for this upcoming weekend looks calmer than that, but certainly problematic on the Pacific Northwest coast with a storm and a strong storm off the southeast coast to start the weekend. We'll detail that at the end of the podcast. Making international news this week was the start of COP26, the 2021 United Nations Climate Change Conference in Glasgow, Scotland. Chief Executive of the Royal Meteorological Society, Dr. Liz Bentley, will join me in a moment in our first raise a focus segment to get a behind-the-scenes look at what went on the past few days and what lies ahead as the conference's important work continues over the next couple of weeks. Then our astronomy expert, AccuWeather meteorologist Ryan Leda, will stop by to talk about November is a busy month for meteor showers and what lies ahead with other celestial highlights as well. Friends, it's time to sit back and relax as we talk about everything under the sun. Well, certainly in this country and around the world, climate change has become a big topic of interest. And certainly, um, especially in the last year or so, with the United States opting out of the Paris Accords and everything else, uh, new and renewed conversations about what was going on in terms of climate change needed to happen. And they are finally doing so. It's been a busy week in Glasgow, Scotland. World leaders were arriving first, making their speeches. And now, as we hear, the real work of this conference is starting to begin, the work behind the scenes by the official delegations to come up with agreements and work through issues and try to come up with ways to curb the global warming. But we do have some good news on that front and some of the new research that is out. It is our pleasure to welcome back into our studios here of Everything Under the Sun from Glasgow, Scotland, the chief executive of the Royal Meteorological Society as the UK is front and center hosting COP26. Professor Dr. Liz Bentley joins us here to talk about the start of COP26 and what's to come over the next couple of weeks right here on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Liz, thanks for being with us. I I know we talked about this conference a couple of weeks ago when you and I and uh, others were here to announce the uh, Weather Photographer of the Year. And uh, look, it's uh, it's making news already this week with uh, all the heads of state and uh, all the important uh, talks that are going on. I want to just kind of go back a little bit. You know, I think here in the United States, 
we don't necessarily have the best understanding of what COP is. First of all, COP is a consultation of parties. In other words, it's all the major world leaders coming together on issues. The one that we're concerned with is the United Nations climate change uh, situation, which now is this is its 26th assembly, uh, goes all the way back to the mid 90s. And obviously, over the years, uh, there's been some great policy and change and talk. A lot of people go back to the COP in 2015. That was number 21, which is where the Paris Accord came from, the Paris Agreement about limiting things and, and trying to work towards a world goal of only getting 1.5 degrees in climate change over the next couple of decades as we go to 2030. So um, took a year off because of the pandemic uh, yeah. this year. And and the thing about this is the, the, the climate change conference, this COP has a presidency from different regions. It's got to move around every year from what I read. So it happened to be that the UK was a presidency of it for the cycle that you guys were supposed to host it in 2020. Obviously, with the pandemic, it got pushed to 2021. And that's why you and world leaders and all the folks are in Glasgow, Scotland here this week to talk about it. Did I do a good job kind of giving it a quick brief there in terms of how to explain it? Yeah, brilliant. And and you're right. It's an annual climate conference um, and it moves around the world. This, this year, it's in Glasgow in the UK. And I'm here sat in Glasgow. Um, I've been in Involved with the, the last uh, couple of day sessions and it goes on for two weeks. It brings all the nations from around the world to sit around the table to talk about climate change, but particularly talk about how we're going to solve the climate change problem. And as you said, the, the probably the one that most people will be familiar with is the Paris COP event that took place in 2015. And from that, we've got the Paris Accord, which is about how setting a limit, we want to limit global uh, average temperatures to a warming of 1.5 degrees from pre-industrial times. So at the moment, we've seen warming of about 1.1 degrees since pre-industrial, and we want to limit it to 1.5. And this, this next two weeks is about how are we going to achieve that? So the pledge was made in 2015. I see Glasgow as about what action are we now going to take to, to get to, to, to limit that warming to 1.5. And there's a lot of pledges coming in. So there's a lot of countries are pledging that they'll get to net zero by the middle of the century or China said 2060. We need to see those pledges being made, um, you know, much quicker than that. I think that's the message that I'm getting over the last couple of days. Glasgow is an interesting place to have this, because if you look at the history of the world, much of uh, coal burning and that kind of stuff started in that area. And so the emissions into the atmosphere, some could say, are, are traced to, to what happened there hundreds of years ago. When we talk about climate change in the UK, that's a message I keep having to put, put out there because if we just look at current emissions, the UK is, is actually not too bad. But actually, if you look at the accumulations that we have made in the UK, any of the kind of industrial nations have made over the last 150 years, it is phenomenal. So we have put our carbon footprint well and truly in the sand. And we're trying to now make some action, not only to help ourselves, but to help all nations, particularly those developing nations, the ones that haven't really made a big carbon footprint at the moment, but the ones that are probably going to be impacted most by climate change. The, the statistics bear what you just said out. I mean, the way that the UK has reduced that carbon footprint, but yet their economy has continued to grow. And I think obviously that's the big 
yin and yang that we face here in the United States in our discussions about this. You know, do we uh, immediately get rid of fossil fuels, uh, which a lot of people fear will significantly impact the economy of the United States. But, uh, you know, the UK has given us a blueprint of how to do that in a a place that is economically similar to the United States. Absolutely so. And I think the first message to say is, that we're not going to get rid of greenhouse gases overnight. We we will see a transition away from fossil fuels to more renewable uh, energy supply. We hope that will happen over this next decade. So we're not going to flick the switch overnight, but it will take a series of maybe 10 years to get us there. But we have to start that process now. And in the UK, we're definitely a good way down that path. So we have pretty much stopped using coal power to generate electricity in the UK. And we've seen a reduction in our greenhouse gas emissions by about 46%. So we've nearly halved our greenhouse gas emissions by moving away from coal and moving to renewables to generate our electricity. And while we've done that, we've seen our economy grow. So the worry of moving away from fossil fuels that we might see an impact on, a negative impact on the economy has not come to fruition. We've got some bigger challenges. You know, we've still got another 54% of our carbon footprint to to, to remove. But uh, I think, you know, we've, we've made some some headway. And I think that's a real positive message for other countries that is possible. It is doable within a kind of period of time. And it can have a positive impact on the economy. I think the aim here is is trying to lead, lead by example. You know, we've got COP here in the UK and we've, we've obviously made some headway. We've still got challenges like everybody else. And we're trying to work out how to do that. But But it is a positive message. We're talking to Professor Liz Bentley, uh, Chief Executive of Royal Meteorological Society, who uh, taking an active role and an active uh, part of COP26. Uh, it started out this week and all the world leaders, well, most of them were there, including President Joe Biden, uh, your Prime Minister, Mars Johnson, and leaders from around the world talking about those pledges. And uh, were there, so there anything significant from the world leaders who were there at the beginning of the week that came out in those first couple of days? Really interesting because they came, they've said lots of positive words, but they aren't really involved in the negotiations. So they will make the news stories and they'll write the headlines, but actually the hard work is going on behind the scenes and probably starts now that they've left. Right. Um, and so all the nations are sat in little huddles. It's really interesting as you go around. We at the Royal Meteorological Society have observer status, which allows us to go and observe what's happening in COP. And there's lots of side events happening. And I, I would describe it a little bit like a circus. It really <laughs> feels there's there's about 25,000 people here in Glasgow for COP. And there's probably only about 5% of those who are actually involved in the negotiations. The other 95% are here to talk about their organizations or to try and kind of get a message across. And lobby, it, it, lobby, as we say in the United lobby, States. Absolutely. Lobby, yeah. So there's big pavilions, there's lots of exhibition space, there's lots going on. But actually, when you get behind the doors, and as I say, as observers, we can do that. And I was I sat in, in two sessions yesterday, and it was really fascinating. So people are presenting science, they're presenting about finance, and then you have different countries in the audience, and they, they put their um, card up, it's 
got the name of the country on, they're invited then to make a comment or a question. It's all about slowly shifting forward so we can start to come to a consensus and an agreement about pledges. And there have already been two pledges made so far this week, one on deforestation. So 110 countries have made a pledge to stop deforestation by 2030 and to start to regenerate a lot of the forests. 110 countries, that's that's about 80% of the whole forest kind of coverage around the world. So wow. pretty percentage. And it includes countries like Brazil, which are fantastic to get them to sign up to this. And the second pledge that was made yesterday was about methane. So methane is another greenhouse gas, really important one. And again, there were about 103 countries, I think, have already signed up to a pledge to, to significantly reduce methane in the next decade. And that will have quite a significant impact on keeping that global temperature. We talked about one mm-hmm. one degree, it'll make a, a significant impact in the, the first half of this century because methane disappears quite quickly. Unlike carbon dioxide, which stays in the atmosphere for probably a century or more, methane will disappear in you know the space of a decade or so. So um, just uh, looking at the news that's coming out uh, on this day that we're recording this, and, and one says, uh, the headline I'm seeing, climate model puts world on track for 1.9 degrees centigrade or celsius of heating now the goal is 1.5 um the magic number where we feel like danger world robinson is that two degree number Uh, and so uh does this mean that we haven't done so well in the last few years to to continue to lower to get to that 1.5 and we need to do more is that kind of is that kind of that message that we're seeing right now so i guess the the main message will be if you go back 10 years um, if we were looking at the pledges that people were making just just even probably five years ago, not even going back 10 years, we were we were on for a warming world of about three, three and a half degrees. So we've seen the pledges that have been made bringing that down to closer to two, just under two, as this report's shown. So it's an improvement from where we were five years ago, but we're still not there if we want to, to limit warming. So it's moving in the right direction, but it's not moving fast enough. I think that's the overarching message. And then the other thing would be the concern that not everybody that should be at the table is at the table. You know, I, I saw stories about uh, Russia's lack of involvement and uh, uh, China's lack of involvement. Is that something that's been discussed that you've heard? And 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 what's the feeling there here at COP26 about those issues? Yeah, so Putin had, didn't come, President Xi didn't come. I, I was aware, though, that President Xi hasn't traveled for two years, and I'm not quite sure the rationale for that, whether it's about protection from COVID. So he, he hasn't actually left China for the last mm. two years. So I don't know whether it's the fact that he didn't want to come to COP and was making a political message or whether he's just not traveling anyway. So re- read into that what you wish. But I would say that the Chinese delegation is here and is here in force. So even okay. though their leader didn't come to the, the global leaders event, China is definitely at the table and making a noise. And so that that is a really positive thing. So again, the global leader event is helpful because it shines a light on the issue. But when you when you kind of pick up stories that, you know, some of the leaders weren't here, that's a negative. Actually, really what's going on the ground, what's going on around the table, you know, it, it, it's a kind of slight disconnect from maybe what the leaders uh, leaders event was about. For you personally, it has had to be this has to be kind of a rewarding and uh, situation and, and, and one that uh, you're, you're appreciating in the position that you are, Liz, uh, to to be able to observe and to see this firsthand so you can honestly talk about this kind of stuff to people and not 
what you hear in the media, right? So that's that's pretty very helpful for you personally, I would assume. You know, great to see. We, we sat in on the IPCC process when they put their um, assessment report six together back in the summer. So we observed that for two weeks. We did that virtually. It's, it's great to be here in person at COP observing the process. And what we're doing the Royal Meteorological Society, I've got a team of five of us up here for the two weeks. We're putting daily bulletins together, and I'll give you the website in a minute. So we're doing one daily bulletin that's going into all schools in the UK. Right. And if you want to hook into this in the US, feel free. So we're preparing it. So it gets shown. It's a short video, gets shown at morning registration. And it's just trying to get school kids engaging with what COP is. As we said at the beginning, what is this? Trying to kind of demystify and like getting them to think about what is being kind of talked about on that particular day, just getting that conversation going. And then the second bulletin is at the end of the day, and we're just kind of giving a short summary of what happened that day and some of the headline messages that have come out and some great interviews with people. So you can imagine there's all, all sorts of people here. We're speaking to different people from around the world, different maybe people outside who are activists. We're speaking to people who live in Glasgow, wondering what on earth all of this is, because you know <laughs> everything's come to a standstill in Glasgow and they're, they're trying to work out what's going on. So we're just trying to demystify what COP is. And if you're interested in finding out about the bulletins, then I'd say you to the Royal Met Society website, which is www.rmets. So that's rmets.org. Just one final note. Um, it's funny because you know you said methane here in the United States. We're we're more methane in terms of the way we say that gas. And then the other thing I want to say is um, in the UK. Uh, your title is professor. I be, I always call you doctor, which in the United States, that seems to have a little more um, yeah. kind of a, uh, yeah, a little more status. Uh, yeah, it, it does. So so we'll, we'll go both. Professor Dr. Liz Bentley, thank you for your time. It's been real great. I think we'll take a couple of weeks, let you rest. And then maybe when we get a little bit, maybe into the beginning of winter, we'll come back and talk about all of the things that happened because it's still going on. Like you said, another week and a half or so, right? So we're hoping everything will be wrapped up next Friday, but the last few cops, it's dragged on into the weekend, even into the Sunday before it gets uh, closed off. So we'll, fingers crossed. I mean, I think we'll be ready for a bit of a siesta maybe once it gets to uh, <laughs> the 13th, 14th. So, but we'll see, see what happens. A couple of hot toddies, especially as it gets yeah. colder. Liz, thanks for your friendship and your time here today. Great to have you here on Everything Under the Sun. Thank you. Liz just gave you the URL for our mess, which has all kinds of great information. Here's the uh, URL just to go directly to the COP website for this year. It's UKCOP26.org. Again, that's UKCOP26.org, and you can get all the information on what's going on, the goals, the conference, uh, things that are going on. It's, it, uh, like Liz said, it's really a three-ring circus with multiple events centered around this idea of trying to curb climate change. We'll get an update on that from Liz in a couple of weeks. Looking forward to that. When we come back to Everything Under the Sun, we'll get an update on what to look for up in the sky. November, a busy month with meteor showers and... We're going to find out about a lunar eclipse, too, coming up in a few weeks. That's coming up next on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Plan your day with confidence and find out what the weather means for you. Join AccuWeather meteorologist Bernie Reno Monday through Friday for Weather Insider. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And welcome back to Everything Under the Sun here on Episode 6 of our Fall Series 2021 as we uh, take a look up into the sky. It's been a few 
weeks since we talked to our astronomy expert here on everything under the sun, AccuWeather meteorologist Brian Leda, and he joins me now. And we're into a busy stretch here, Brian, as it looks like uh, we're going to see some really good meteor showers. And as we pointed out in the past, this is that great time of year when the humidity is low and you get nice clear skies, maybe a little chilly. Certainly folks in the Northeast have seen some early season chill here in November, but we've got uh, at least uh, by my count, four meteor showers. And with the lack of moonlight, that we're in here as this podcast drops. This uh, first couple are going to be, I think, pretty good viewing for most people here over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, Dean, November is the month for meteors. Uh, There's no one big meteor shower like the Perseids that we talked about in late September, but we have a lot of long-running meteor showers Pretty much any given night throughout the first two or three weeks of November, you can get about five to 10 meteors per hour. Now, that may not sound like a lot, but when you have a big meteor shower, that's typically just one or two nights. If it's cloudy, then you miss out. But with these long running meteor showers, you can check the AccuWeather app, see when it's going to be clear and plan for that night. So really uh, seeing this is in your own hands. You just decide when you go out based on the weather. And actually, just last night, I was outside with the dogs and I saw a meteor streak through the sky. So these meteor showers are already active. Nice. Uh, did the dog react? Was it a bright one or did uh, it, did you just catch it? Sometimes you catch those out of the corner of your eye because your peripheral catches them a little bit more. Was this good view in front of you? It was actually partly cloudy outside and it kind of went through the clouds a bit. So I saw it in one part, it went away and then came back. It was pretty interesting. I've never seen a meteor went under a cloudy sky before. So that was a first (laughs) for me. Um, But one thing too, with these meteor showers, even though they're only about five to 10 per hour, there is an increased chance for what are called fireballs, which are incredibly bright meteors. They could illuminate the entire sky for a second or two. So you definitely don't want to sleep on these meteor showers. Yeah, uh, I'm probably I think over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see, you know, where we'll get uh, Santa. They wonder why there was this fireball in the sky overnight, you know, and we'll probably have to answer that question here. So we start with uh, they call it the Southern Tarids, and that's active here as this podcast is dropping, coming probably just out of the peak. And then it goes back uh, into uh, the Northern Tarids. going in the peak of that looks to be 11 through the 12th now the good news is this week and the moon is new it's uh going to be very bright uh, the, the moon's not going to be bright so it's going to provide a lot of darkness when you got clear skies to see these things clearly as we get to the northern tarids peak there the 11th and 12th we're about uh, 55 percent full and then when the leonids come in at the middle of the month 17th through the 18th we're back to almost 98 percent full moon so we'll have to check moonrise times in those situations but yeah it looks like especially this first few weeks first couple of weeks of the month it's a good time to get outside and enjoy and not only meteors brian but maybe some northern lights. You and I were just talking before we came on here. It's pretty uh, big, what they call a CME, coronal mass ejection. And that's, uh, in other words, a lot of energy coming from the sun. (laughs) They're calling the one that is just, uh, we're coming through here as this podcast drops a cannibal CME. In other words, there's some other ejections of energy and this big one just kind of engulfed those. In fact, uh, I think on... uh, 
Thursday morning, early morning, there was some Aurora glow all the way down almost to Los Angeles, which is kind of crazy. They don't very rarely see them that far south. So I think over the next couple of uh, days, especially as you not only looking for the southern torrids, you may be actually, especially in the northern tier of the United States, see a little bit of a glow of the northern lights. Yeah, that term that you mentioned, the cannibal CME, that was a new one for me as well. Uh, Essentially, there was a some particles from the sun floating around and then a strong pulse came out and swept up everything, kind of ate them up and then everything hit the earth at once. And that's what caused it all to be so strong. I think the strongest part is over, but like you said, if you're in the higher latitudes, you know, the far Northern U S even into Canada, uh, you could have some decent Northern light displays here in the next uh, couple nights. Anything else as we're going to start to make the turn, we're um, making the turn this weekend into solar winter, uh, which means the lowest amount of uh, light of the year, longest nights. Uh, Anything else we should look up to the sky to see other than the meteors? Anything celestial in terms of the moon special as we go over the next couple of weeks? Anything you can point to? Well, apart from the meteor showers, the other big event happening here in November is a pretty impressive partial lunar eclipse. Uh, The past couple of years, we've had really underwhelming events where a little bit part of the moon is shaded, but not really that great to look at. Uh, This one that's happening on November 19th, though, 97% of the moon is going to go dark. The only thing you're going to need, though, is a strong cup of coffee and a loud alarm clock, because the best time to look is going to be at 4 a.m. Eastern time on November 19th or 1 a.m., Pacific time if you're out on the West Coast. So it's happening in the middle of the night. But like I said, almost all of the moon is going completely dark. Just a little sliver is going to stay bright. And is that all over the uh, North America is going to see that clearly? Yes. Every part in North America, Alaska, Hawaii, the whole gambit's going to be seeing this partial eclipse, as long as it's not cloudy, of course. Right. Well, that I mean, this is right in my wheelhouse of my hours, Brian. I mean, I get up at three in the morning to, to do this job at, you know, start at four. So this is perfect for me. I'll be coming into an uh, eclipse that day. That'll be fun. Yeah. And you could still see a couple straggling meteors from these meteor showers. Like you said earlier, the Leonin meteor shower peaks, I believe, just two nights before the lunar eclipse. So you might be watching the eclipse and see a couple meteors streak through the sky. So meteors, auroras, and a, and a lunar eclipse. It sounds like a pretty uh, fun month to be looking up in the sky. And uh, right now, at least through the next week, not a whole lot of storms. There's that uh, coastal storm that we're watching going into this weekend. And then um, looks a little, little quiet. So hopefully folks will get a chance to see that. Uh, Brian? Appreciate the time. Thanks for all the information and happy stargazing, my friend. Yeah, good luck meteor hunting and good luck staying up if you plan on seeing that eclipse. So what does the weather look like for this upcoming weekend and the week beyond in terms of your stargazing or trying to see the auroras or anything else that you're doing? College football, big, the New York City Marathon coming up Sunday in New York City. Well, let's start in the Northeast where it has been really chilly. In fact, uh, some of the coldest temperatures of the season since April have been uh, happening in the uh, Northeast here over the last couple of days. Going to ease out of that chill slowly this weekend. Looks like the storm that we are going to talk about in the South east uh, coast here that's uh, really going to cause some problems Friday into Saturday in Florida and then up along the Carolina coast does not get into the northeast. That was something that we were a little worried about a few days ago, but as this podcast drops on Friday, it looks like dry weather. If you are either running or watching the New York City Marathon, a chilly morning, not a bad afternoon in New York, up at about 55 degrees with some sunshine and temperatures in that area, D.C. up to New York and Boston are really going to start warming up a little bit even more as we get into the early part 
of next week. Temperatures could be at or past 60 for a couple of days early next week. Where's that warmth coming from? Well, it's bottled up in the middle of the country over the weekend as temperatures start to surge all the way from uh, McAllen, Texas, all the way up through Denver. St. Louis, uh, low to mid-50s as we go into Friday. By Saturday, they're back up in the low to mid-60s. And then Sunday and Monday, 70 or better as that warmth camps out there for a couple of days. Um, We did take a break in the Pacific Northwest, but as we've been expecting, more storminess this weekend. It comes in Friday with some wind and some coastal rain, elevational snow in the Cascades. And as you go up into the mountains of Idaho and Montana, we're going to see some stormy weather for at least the start of the weekend there. Going farther south, still dry and mild. Los Angeles, Denver, pretty good. You know, I just, uh, talking with Brian, you know, we did see the aurora go all the way down to just north of Los Angeles early Thursday morning. Don't think it'll be that far south, but at least uh, good weather in the middle of the country to view these uh, torrids and also that uh, uh, other situations as you'd be looking up in the sky. And good weather for football in the middle of the country, too, here, both Saturday and Sunday. High school football as well on Friday. That's a look at the weather of the week ahead. As we look uh, forward, we'll be convening with you again next week for another episode of Everything Under the Sun. But I appreciate the time and efforts of our guests. Thanks to Professor Dr. Liz Bentley to Brian Leda and to our executive producers, Ken Prell and Andrew Robb. They uh, represent uh, our great AccuWeather team members, hundreds of them across the world that work so hard every day to keep you weatherproof by updating the AccuWeather app and letting you know exactly what's happening weather-wise over the long term and the short term. It's all on your AccuWeather app with your AccuWeather network and your AccuWeather media partners. For all of us at AccuWeather, have a great weekend and a great week ahead. We'll talk to you next Friday with our next episode of the fall series of everything under the sun from accuweather.com thanks for listening to this week's episode be sure to subscribe to rate and review everything under the sun on apple podcasts itunes spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite shows and of course if you have an idea for a future podcast just email us at accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com 